Hi, I am so excited to share that this is our first ever sponsored episode of Responsa Radio. And this episode is sponsored by the Hebrew College Rabbinical School, which is actually my alma mater. Have you ever thought about becoming a rabbi or a cantor? Now more than ever in our complicated world, we need courageous and thoughtful spiritual leaders to serve our growing needs of our communities. At Hebrew College, which is in Newton, Massachusetts, a commitment to deep textual literacy goes hand in hand with a demand for deep creativity and honesty to train the innovators of Judaism in the 21st century. You can join Hebrew College for Tashma, an online open house on November 16th, and experience the vibrant pluralistic communities of Hebrew College's rabbinical and cantorial programs. You can learn more and register at hebrewcollege.edu slash openhouse. And if you can't make it on November 16th, or maybe you're listening to this podcast a little bit later on, um, you should still be in touch with them. They would love to find another way for you to schedule a virtual visit. This institution, the Hebrew College Rabbinical School, is so near and dear to my heart. And if you are at all interested or considering this path, I highly recommend checking out Tashma, their perspective virtual weekend on November 16th. Rabbi Avi Killip, here with Rabbi Ethan Tucker, Rosh Hashiva at Hadar, a center for higher Jewish learning based in New York City. And we're coming to you live from the Manger Winter Learning Seminar. Woo! We're going to do a question now that is in the category of what can I do on Shabbat, which we have many questions in this category. Um, I think this is one of the m more moving questions, at least for me in reading them. We've, ha we've had a few that are really moving. And we're going to do something we haven't done before, which is I'm going to put two questions together. We actually got almost the same question in two different forms. Mm. There is a slight difference, and I'm curious to hear if it plays out differently, because on Shabbat it may play out differently. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm going to read both questions in part because we'll see how they differ and in part because I'm just really impressed by the kind of people who our listeners are and the fact that this is a question that's come up for two different people is really significant to me and I want to model that and pass that on. Both questions are about whether you can man or serve on a suicide crisis hotline on Shabbat. Okay. That's the heading. Okay. So I'll read the first version of the question. The first person writes, I volunteer for a crisis text line service. Basically, we have an online platform where people in crisis text us and we counsel them through it. I'm wondering if it's possible for me to do this on Shabbat. And if I can, if there are ways I would have to limit my interaction with the platform to just the elements that are strictly pikuach nefesh, saving someone whose life is clearly in danger. That's version one. Version two um, has a lot more detail and is actually, there's a piece of it that I find really emotionally jarring, so I'll give that as a little bit of a, a trigger warning, I suppose. Debating whether or not to edit it, but I think it's so powerful as it is. I am currently training to be a listener for a suicide hotline. Their approach is quite passive. It involves picking up the phone and just listening to any and all callers. No advice is given, and any medical assistance can only be initiated by the caller. 
about 5 to 6% of calls are actively involved in suicidal activities while they are on the phone with you. A much larger percentage are actively thinking about suicide or have made plans, and an even larger percentage have recently had suicidal thoughts, though no longer consider themselves actively suicidal. When picking up the phone, there is no way of knowing who is on the other line, how urgent the call is, or when they will want medical help. It is possible they just want to talk to somebody while they die. Given all of this, would it be permitted to work a shift on Shabbat? So we've done questions about when it's okay to work a shift on Shabbat of other jobs. Yeah. We did a question once about whether doctors could work on Shabbat or whether if somebody picks up call for you, you know, on any kind of hourly basis on Shabbat, do you have to care if that person's Jewish? This feels different, and I think it's because it fits into that pikuach nefesh, are we saving a life issue? And I'm curious what you think, especially in terms of whether we need to have considerations of, are there other people to man this call? Is this person the only person who can staff the call? Or, or maybe from the get-go, they can just sign up for a slot on Shabbat because it is that worthy of a cause. Yeah, it's a very intense question. And as you say, in a certain way, it's a beautiful question in that there is something moving and critical about the fact that there are people who care so deeply about observing Shabbat who are also so deeply involved in this work that is so hard and so cutting to the essence of what it is to work with human beings at their most vulnerable moments. I, th I think it's also, to me, when I think about the idea of pikuach nefesh, of saving a life as something that allows you to override Shabbat prohibitions, it seems like an idea that is meant to be a crazy, one-off random really rare situation and this is not rare and it's not random or surprising it's something that they know if they man this line somebody will call which is both just different it makes me feel like this question is different than a do you save someone that you happen to pass on the street who got hit by a car or who you happen to encounter who you're the doctor and can save them um, so I'm curious about whether Pikuach Nefesh feels like it works in that way and I'd also I think is so moving to just remember that there is always a Pikuach Nefes situation going on in, in the world and it's we can somewhere. answer those calls or we right. cannot answer those calls, but they're always there. Yeah. So let's start from there because I think, yeah, the root of the questioner's doubt comes from a place of, yeah, but I don't know necessarily if on every phone call or every text I am actually dealing with a case of pikuach nefesh. So here I want to lay down something sort of very clear at the beginning, which is we often talk about, you know, pikuach nefesh, saving a life, supersedes Shabbat. It's actually not quite right in that the real principle is kol sefeik nefashot docheet Shabbat. Any situation where there is a doubtful, a possibility mm -hmm. that you are going to save a life override Shabbat. And the way you see this in the most striking way is actually deriving the justification for violating Shabbat uh, in order to save a life is pretty tricky in the Talmud. Like they know it's a rule, mm -hmm. but they are not sure where it comes from. This starts in the Mechilta, the early Midrash on Shemot, but basically in the Talmud in Yoma, they lay out, maybe it's from here, maybe it's from here. They throw out a, a bunch of bases for this principle, and some of them they reject. 
And one of the ones they reject goes as follows. There is an argument made for violating Shabbat to save a life from circumcision. How does that work? Mm -hmm. Well, circumcision, says the Midrash, we know from other sources that that supersedes Shabbat, right. right? You circumcise a child on Shabbat, even though it involves a violation of Shabbat. And so if you violate Shabbat for the well-being of one bodily organ, all the more so you should do so for saving a life, which is the okay. entire body. All right. That's the argument. All right. The Talmud then shoots that down. Because it says that cannot be the basis. Why? Because actually you don't perform a doubtful circumcision on Shabbat. Mm -hmm. Meaning if a baby, let's say, is born, you know, in twilight Waterline. between yeah. Friday and Saturday and you're not sure was it born on Shabbat or not, you push it off till Sunday. Because you're only justified in violating Shabbat for a clear command to circumcise. They say that can't be the basis because that would then cast in doubt the principle that you violate Shabbat to save a life in a doubtful case. So mm -hmm. the Talmud kind of takes as an ironclad rule that any way you are thinking about the issue of violating Shabbat must encompass cases where you are only possibly certain. <laughs> you are only in doubt yeah. that the person might be in danger. So good to hear you know it's not always the case that you feel like you see the rabbis start from a place of certainty about something and then figure out where it comes from i mean it it does happen but that's what i would want to hear right it's an unusual formulation in that way and i'll give you just two other data points on that which i think hammer this home so rav in the talmud is like okay what, what does that mean like in practice what what do you mean you know you, you don't play around with this he gives an example he says you know let's say you are prescribed by a doctor an eight-day medical treatment mm -hmm. okay and every day of that treatment requires violation of Shabbat, whatever the treatment right. is. If you got the prescription for that, as it were, on Friday afternoon, you start that next day on Shabbat, even though it will mean two you Shabbat. will violate two Shabbats rather than push it off to Sunday, because even though it might be okay to wait till Sunday, it might not. And you don't mess around with that. The most haunting yeah. text that plays out the principle here is in the Talmud Yerushalmi when discussing the question of saving lives on Shabbat. It says the following three things. Hazariz mishubach, hanishal damim. Someone who is particularly, you know, out of the starting gate to violate Shabbat in order to save a life is praiseworthy. A halachic authority who is asked too many questions about when you should violate Shabbat to save a life is disgusting because that person has not done their job mm -hmm. in their community to make this clear. And the person who starts niggling and asking questions as to whether they should do it is a murderer. Yeah. Now, this is intense rhetoric. And as we'll see in a minute, it's not actually clear that the Babylonian Talmud felt this way. But it is a kind of clear statement of the notion that our standard is not first verify danger, then kick in violation of Shabbat. It's does it seem like there's some danger somewhere maybe on the horizon? 
you move forward and you do what you need to do. There's at least an ethos about that. And so that's where I do want to a little bit put to rest writ large the notion that assuming it's appropriate for you to be on that hotline, right. that you are thinking in any way about whether you've hit 51% of your time on there is dealing with actual, you know, right. live acute cases of danger. So Once it's on the radar at all, that's what you need to be doing. You would say the way that the second questioner is sort of percentage-wise spelling out for us what kind of calls are coming in, if there was an expectation that there could be a call that could save a life, then you answer that phone. Yeah, so here's where I would say, right, you don't answer every phone call that you ever get on any phone anywhere near you on Shabbat because who knows, it could right. be someone <laughs> in danger, but we are talking about a suicide prevention right. line, right. which I presume some reasonable percentage of people are right. calling because their really life help. is in acute danger. And certainly some recognizable and guaranteed percentage right. is there. Mm -hmm. So that I really just want to sort of, with the hope that the Yerushalmi would not describe me as disgusting, sort of put to rest. You're not doing that mathematical calculus. That's not where this question lands. This yeah. question is going to land more where I think you were pushing at the beginning. Is this appropriate task for you to sign up for? Are you the only one who can do it? And then how, if at all, do you sort of behave or conduct yourself once you're doing the basic work? I think those are the questions I would be interested to hear. And I imagine those are the kind of questions that this questioner is wondering about. It seems like both of them already volunteer for the hotlines and they want to know, can I take that shift? Especially if nobody else signs up. But I'm curious to hear if you even think that there's a difference. Yeah. So let's start, first of all, I guess, just to sort of lay the groundwork. You asked at the beginning, like, are the two cases different? So I do think they're a little bit different, mm -hmm. right? I do think typing texts is more of a significant Shabbat activity than talking on the phone. Talking on the phone is certainly broadly treated today by people who are traditionally Shabbat observant as completely forbidden. But in the early days of the telephone, there were actually a little bit of diversity of opinion as to whether it was necessarily forbidden to talk on the phone on Shabbat. Does that feel different to you if it's a cell phone or an old-fashioned actual landline? I, let's put it this way. I think there's no question that the simple act of speaking to someone on the phone is maximally a rabbinic prohibition. I think it's very hard to argue that there's mm -hmm. some biblical prohibition the involved. In the Torah that says... He who answers his cell phone. Right. <laughs> right. And the Torah, of course, doesn't say anything about texting either, but texting is already more plausibly, you know, an act of writing. And we can argue there, too, is it more temporary? Mm -hmm. And are you going to keep a record? And is it ephemeral on the screen? You might have a good case there as well. But there's at least a little more grounding of that looks more like a thing that Jews have treated, mm -hmm. um, you know, as a melacha on a sort of biblical level for a long time. So that'll kick in, assuming we treat these as problematic enough, right? I'm assuming the frame of reference of the question is that it's forbidden to talk on the phone on Shabbat, right. and that would be my starting right. reference as well. Are there analogs that help us think this through? So let me go to one precedent, and uh, we can talk through how, where, where it helps us and where maybe it's limited. So there's a text in the Talmud in Shabbat which is dealing with a woman giving birth. Okay, that's the case on Shabbat. Mm -hmm. And she needs oil, and she doesn't have it. And the oil has to be fetched from a place, let's say, you know, outside the Eruv or another house. There's an act yeah. of hotza'ah, of transfer from one domain to another that has to happen to get it to her. 
Okay. So the text here says something interesting. It's like, you're going to bring her the oil because she's sort of at risk when in giving yeah. birth. But it says, if possible, you bring it cupped up in your hands. If you can't do that, you actually take another woman who has long hair and fill her hair up with oil and then squeeze it out when you get to the destination or rub it out. Yeah. And if you can't do that, I don't know why people wouldn't be up for that, <laughs> but if you can't do that, as a last recourse, you use a vessel, meaning yeah. you do it the normal way you yeah. would do it. You take a jug with the oil and bring it over. Okay, So there clearly is some notion here of they're going to justify this, mm -hmm. but they are preferring that you not do it in the completely normal way. Right? We had this earlier episode mm -hmm. on Shinui and doing right. things in a weird way. And I would say what we talked about there was here they're sort of saying you might justify a certain activity needing to be done and still say it's important for you to carve out the Shabbat nature of the day as you're doing it. Okay. Now, the big debate among the, the medieval authorities is, is this just a stringency for a woman giving birth? Because even though she's in danger, it's maybe a lower level of danger sort of on the scale of like, well, people give birth and right. yes, there are dangerous cases, but a lot of them sort of go totally fine. Or is this, no, a rule that would apply to anyone that you're violating Shabbat in order to, to deal with Is it clear that danger. this case is pikuach nefesh, that that's the framework we're talking about? So that's part of the debate. I would say it's pretty clear that it is some form of pikuach nefesh. The question is, is it a lighter form or mm -hmm. is it something where, because to justify the actual act being done here, there's got to be some danger. But that debate is, is it sort of like really acute danger or it's like, well, who knows what will happen? But it's introducing this sort of thing of, at least in some cases and maybe all cases of danger to life, maybe you try to do things in an unusual way. So it's, a, it's very different, it sounds like, than the first case of you're a murderer, if you're holding back at all, in terms of once I realize there is a danger, do I forget that it's Shabbat altogether? Yeah. Or do I still try to remember that it's Shabbat throughout all the steps that I'm doing, even though I need to do the steps? Yeah, exactly right. And that then sort of plays out in two dimensions. So one is the Ramar of Moshe Esolis on the Shulchan Aruch actually cites this as a general protocol that you would ideally follow if you can save someone's life, I don't know, by doing something with your left hand as opposed to your right, mm -hmm. or doing something in some way that sort of marks for you, I'm doing this, but it is still Shabbat, you mm -hmm. should. And then he adds something important. He says, and truth be told, if someone not Jewish could do the job just as well as you, then you should ask them, okay? Mm -hmm. In other words, if the goal is, it's my responsibility to make sure that this person's life is saved, he is sort of advocating, but maybe that's separable potentially from whether I have to do it if I have other people who can help me out to do it. Now, he very quickly mm -hmm. adds, that's only if it won't delay anything. Right. right. The if second the two of us are standing here, someone needs to call 911. You can do it just as fast as I can. Correct. But if it's anything where it's like, oh, let me just go get the next door neighbor. No, 
right? Yeah. You don't you don't start with those steps. Now this is where I say. This dynamic feels a little different than that Talmud Yerushalmi of yeah. like, if you're hesitant, you know, you're a murderer. There is a little bit of sort of balancing here in some way between the two. And there is, I think, place to kind of engage here with, is there a way I might split the difference here, right? Is there a way in which the person engaged in this kind of work can ask themselves two questions, okay? One is... When you're talking about right, signing up for a shift, I do think it is a legitimate question to ask, well, assuming you're not doing this seven days a week right. as your full-time job, and there are times when you're not on the shift, and you don't feel that in general, with you pulling your weight, the hotline is understaffed, right. I don't think it's reasonable to say that by default, you don't staff Friday night and Shabbat. Right. You could staff Tuesday night. If you're called, and we'll get to that in a minute, that's another question. Hey, we need people. We don't have enough people or the lines are overloaded. Okay, right. then you go in, you get in your car and you drive over, you call in, whatever it is. Yeah. That goes back to that's it. But when you're talking about, yes, we have a responsibility to be here for people in danger. And there's a whole team of us working on it, mm -hmm. right? And there are a whole bunch of people for whom the Shabbat space is neutral. I think it is reasonable based on that Ramah where it's not about in the moment, not delaying it to say, well, you should ask yourself, right? Is that the right, is that the right place for yeah. your time? The other thing I think is, is there some space for some kind of non-time-wasting shinui that marks your Shabbat space? For instance, again, I don't know exactly how often is the questioner doing it and how does it play out. Like, could you have like a separate phone that you used for that? Yeah. Could you have something that sort of marks that? Yes, I'm doing this. There is some sort of violation of Shabbat, but I'm doing it in a way that it doesn't feel like I'm just picking up my normal phone. Mm -hmm. That feels to me like it would also be significant in sort of continuing to market as a Shabbat space without getting into the game playing that, you know, the earlier sources really want us to avoid. In terms of choosing paradigms of different ways we could think about this, is there a way with integrity to choose both that you're going to proactively sign up sometimes for the Shabbat shift because you just think the work is that important and you're going to do your Shinui phone? So I'll give you another text on this that I'm not sure what to make of, but mm -hmm. it names something about the signing up. That weird discussion about the oil in the hair and the this and that is actually, it's a comment on a Mishnah that's just talking in general about childbirth on Shabbat. Mm -hmm. And the Mishnah says... You give birth on Shabbat, meaning you, you help a woman who's giving birth to give birth on Shabbat. And you also can call her literally a wise woman, or what seems to be a midwife, from another place. Mm -hmm. And you violate Shabbat for her. All right? And it's on that that the Talmud, oh, you violate Shabbat like you have to bring oil, etc. But what I find so intriguing about this text is, well, that Chachama apparently is on call. Yeah. Like, there is someone to be called, right. who you know is there, who has signed up for, hey, if you're ever having a kid on Shabbat, like, send someone over to me and I'll come right over, in a way that she's not present, she's not right there in the same town, this is not as you described, I'm walking by, oh my God, I see someone, they need my help. Mm -hmm. This is someone who has preemptively signed up to periodically violate Shabbat because of cases that are foreseeable. That to me provides a like potentially interesting analog to what it is to say, I anticipate something's going to happen. I feel like I have some skill to make a difference. 
I'm at least willing to be sort of summoned. It's interesting. I have a very different read of that, actually. My instinct goes to, oh, that's a text for people who live in a place where there's only one midwife for mm -hmm. three towns. Mm -hmm. So, of course, there's nobody else to call. You call the midwife when you need the midwife. Mm -hmm. um, or you call the doctor if you need the doctor, which is different than a world of, oh, I share call with a group of 20 OBs. Should I sign up for a Shabbos shift? Yeah, no, that's fair. That's why I wanted to ask you. I thought you'd have a good <laughs> response on it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it sounds like you're coming out more on the side of like, yeah, you shouldn't be signing up for that <laughs> shift. Like there's plenty of other people that do that. Or I don't know. I don't know these hotlines and whether there are plenty of other people, but maybe in the realm of if there are plenty of other people, then it does seem surprising to me that you would choose this time to sign up. And there's a piece of me that really hears that Yerushalmi and wants to say, you know, heaven forbid, we should make a podcast that makes it sound like we would ever be discouraging people from signing up for a shift to do the kind of right. chesed that is involved in signing up to staff this hotline. Of course, you should sign up for any time you have. And if the only free time you have is on Shabbat, sign up on Shabbat. Don't say, well, I don't do Shabbos shifts, so I will miss this week. Right. I mean, I think the other thing I would bring up from the, the language of Chachama, which I like, is it could be that it's literally the only person around mm -hmm. or available in the towns. But truth be told, it's like they're not the only person who's around. There is some wisdom or expertise right. that that person clearly has that renders them unique. And while, yes, uh, you know, a call center that has tons of people working on it, each individual person is definitely more dispensable and I agree like yeah in most cases it's hard to imagine why you would have to sign up on Shabbat but I don't know as someone who has not done this work I can imagine there are you know skills and intuitions and all sorts of wisdom that basically you refine and develop mm -hmm. that may in fact be very hard to replicate or interchange and who knows if you will be the person with the right kind of skill for the person who happens to call on that night and then what if you didn't respond to that fake nefashot? So again, I don't think this is, you know, meant to make people feel like, oh my God, I have to be searching for the possible danger to life that might be lurking out of my field of vision. But I think it does mean that potentially once you get involved in this work, I can imagine cases where, yes, if you can put up some of those safeguards, it wouldn't feel like, oh my God, why did you... Why did you cross that line any more than the discussions we had about doctors, right, in other contexts where, sure, you know, you can justify saying Jewish doctors, like, should avoid, if they can, signing up for Shabbat shifts. But it's pretty widely practiced, and I think with a pretty solid grounding of, you know, I'm kind of, I'm in this profession, and I sort of mm -hmm. pull my weight to do this work that I think is fundamentally justified on Shabbat once I'm there. I'll also say about that, that language, the name of Chachama that I think it's so fitting here and I really appreciate it because it also has an, a tone, an undertone, or maybe even an explicit valence of respect and honor that the people that we most respect, we call the Chachamim, um, and to call this person who is there and available to help even on Shabbat, a Chachama really gives that honor to, to that individual and I would like to give the same title and honor to the listeners who wrote these questions um, and thank them for the work that they're doing. Amen.
Sponsor Radio is a project of the Hadar Institute and Jewish Public Media. Thanks to Analeah Bernstein Simpson for producing this podcast and to Noah Gendler for editing this episode. Have a halachic question you'd like answered on the show? Email us at halacha at hadar.org. H-A-L-A-K-H-A-H. You can also leave us a message at 215-297-4254.